0: Section 3 of Whispering Tunnels by Stephen Bagby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Part 3. The two Americans crossed the great square of the Invalide the next morning, mounting the broad steps of the war ministry. Once within the portals of the Bureau of Secret Documents, both sent their cards to the Commandant and were presently shown before one of the chief inspectors, a grizzled lieutenant colonel, the inspector bit his lip and motioned for silence when they announced the nature of their quest. "Zounds!" exclaimed the officer incredulously. Can it be possible you speak of Captain Jules Charmont, who was once stationed in Fort Vaux? His eyes grew wide as Cresson nodded affirmatively. He pressed a button on his desk, and when the chief clerk responded, commanded that certain records be brought before him. It is forbidden to mention the name of Captain Charmont in the military service, except, of course, Upon official inquiry here, said the inspector, opening one of the massive books of records, when the clerk had closed the door behind him. Are you not aware, my friends, that Captain Chamon is posted as a high traitor in France? Cresson almost leapt from his chair in astonishment. A traitor, he shouted. That cannot be. Chamon was one of the bravest and best of men. He loved France, he broke off helplessly. Nevertheless, monsieur... Continued the inspector, placing his thumb on a page. Here is the order. He is charged with delivering Vaux into the enemy's hands on June 7th, 1917. It was a close secret, known inside the fort alone, that the French command had prepared for eventualities in blowing open the casements of Vaux. This was done to establish communication with the outside trenches, of course. But this information, together with orders, maps, and plans, was turned over to the enemy by a Frenchman in the fort. And witnesses say this Frenchman was Jules Chamon. Impossible, Cresson burst out. There must have been a mistake. The southerner turned his eyes to Little John, who shook his head gravely. But no, messieurs, insisted the officer. We are sure that the evidence was correct. We are sure that Captain Chamon is now hiding in Germany, where we do not know. If he had been made a prisoner, would he not have returned to France? For now, the last of the war prisoners have been exchanged. If he had died defending the fort, the enemy would have buried him according to rank. Charmant has never been proclaimed a traitor in orders of the French army because such a step might prevent his ever being captured. Otherwise, he might think it safe to return. Instead of a proclamation, the French government has taken an unusual course, banished his name in army circles. Of course, monsieur. He still holds his rank in the army, and will continue to do so until proven guilty by trial. The strangest thing, my friends, the Inspector went on, is the fact that no trace of Captain Chaumont has ever been found. Our bureau men have scoured Europe without avail, and doubtless he is carefully concealed. Do not forget, Monsieur, Cresson interrupted, that this is but a theory. Why, Chaumont was a tiger for courage. Would such a man place gold above his country? Sacre, I do not know, replied the officer with an eloquent gesture. One of the main witnesses before an investigating committee was a fellow officer, Captain Debray, who actually saw Chamon pass papers to a spy. Debray? exclaimed Cresson incredulously. Why, monsieur, this officer was Chamon's friend. He broke off, recalling the odd behavior of that officer on Boulevard Street, Michel, the evening before. Exactly. Returned the inspector. His friend. That is why the evidence is so overwhelming. Debray was reluctant enough to be sure. A country is above friendship, monsieur. However, if there is nothing else. There is something else, my colonel, said Little John. About Captain Chamon's mother and sister. Could you tell me anything about them? The little scientist had spoken for the first time, and his keen gaze was now riveted upon the Frenchman. Ah, yes answered the inspector. They are living somewhere in Paris, but I do not know the address. The family estate was in the name of Jules Chamon, as the male heir, and this was confiscated by the government of France, as is, of course, usual in the case of suspected traitors. For the sake of his mother and sister, I personally am glad there was no public proclamation. It is really tragic, this eviction of madame and mademoiselle Chamon from their homes. I recall seeing them here when they appeared before the investigators. Crescent started, recalling the darkened mansions and the disappearance of the two women. Would this portrait describe either of the two ladies? Asked Little John, extending the photograph to the officer. The Frenchman seized it and turned the likeness to the light. Sacre! exclaimed the officer. It is she. It is the daughter, his sister. Mademoiselle Audrey, I believe. But, monsieur, I've told you all that I know. I must now beg you to excuse me, for I have a conference soon. The inspector shook the hands of both Americans in turn, as they thanked him and departed. The two men agreed that a search for the two women would be necessary in discussing the new angles of the case. At the Café des Trois-Ponts, they questioned several of the waiters, Cresson giving them a description of Captain Debray. All knew him as a frequenter of the place, usually dining there in the early evening and always alone. "'One little thing that I can do,' Cresson told Little John." is to watch Captain Debray. Evidently, this fellow has unlimited money, according to the waiters, and is spending it, too. I'll shadow him, Doctor, for it is just possible that wine has loosened his tongue. If he talked... Cresson's eyes conveyed his meaning. A most excellent idea, Little John agreed. In the meantime, I'll map out other work we have to do. The two separated. End of Part Three